happens and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. You're listening to The Growth Show with Mike Volpe. Welcome to The Growth Show. I'm Megan Keeney Anderson, and standing in for Mike Volpe today is my co-host, Dan Lyons. Hi, Megan. Hi, Dan. Our guest today is Guy Kawasaki, chief evangelist of Canva and author of a forthcoming book, The Art of Social Media. Hi, Guy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, anything for Dan, basically. <laughs> wow, that is... That is- he does. He does have a, a good following. Our, our Dan Lyons. <laughs> no, actually, I'm I'm just sucking up so he puts me on the um, Silicon Valley sitcom thing. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to get you on there. I wanted you to have a cameo role. In fact, I've written to them. I, I'm not joking. I've, I've written saying we should have a have you in a cameo role. I told him. Didn't what was your idea? You wanted to be like the delivery guy, the guy who showed up with the FedEx package. That's right? fantastic. Wouldn't it well, be great? Because it's I like mean, a blind cameo. You know, Only people this- who know would know. Just to continue this racial stereotype, I should be the gardener, don't you think? <laughs> well, I demand, regardless, I demand a Guy Kawasaki uh, <laughs> st- stand-in role. About being Asian and all that, this is, there's actually a real life lesson in this. Go ahead, yeah. Are we limited by time? I mean, I don't, no, I don't know. no, could not, God, yeah. no, you know. We, okay, we so have this, no rules. This is a great story. There's a real serious lesson in this story. So um, about 20 years ago or so, I was living in San Francisco with my wife, and, um, and we had one son at that point. And we lived on Union Street, which is in the Marina District, which is a very nice area to live. Sure. Uh, okay. And so one day I'm out there, and I'm trimming the plants in front of my house, and this older, shall I say, Caucasian woman comes up to me and says, do you do uh, yard work too? (laughs) She wanted to hire you right then and there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Fantastic. So so I said to her, well, you think that because I'm Japanese, I'm the Mm. yard man, but actually I own this thing. (laughs) So, okay, so, you know, that's a good story in and of itself. So then I, I, I tell this story to my father. And so my father, you know, he's like uh, World War, you know, I mean, he he's Japanese-American, but uh, he's like, I don't know, 90 years old or something, you know. And so he's been around and, you know, and I, I thought he would, he would, you know, fully cop the attitude of freaking white people, you know, just because you're Japanese, they assume that. Um, you're a gardener or a laundry or, you know, you're building railroads or whatever, right? And they stuck us in Manzanar. You know, that's, that's what I'm expecting. Sure, I'm expecting yeah. my, my father to, like, be righteously indignant. So instead, my father says to me, well, guy, you know, just statistically, she was right. You probably were a gardener. And that lesson stuck with me the rest of my life that, you know, don't, Take things personally. <laughs> and if my father can say that, who's yeah, like ninety years old and been through a lot, then I can certainly I can certainly suck it up and take the higher road too. So that was an important life lesson for me. Absolutely. And it's it's funny because the, the whole don't take things personally. 
that kind of comes into, I, I got a little bit of a insight into your upcoming book. And one of the things that you were talking about in that is, you know, when you're getting pulled into social media fights, you're getting pulled into Twitter conversations, go three rounds and then stop. And yes. don't, ta- don't take things personally there either. Um, <laughs> and it's funny, I, you know, I, I'm in the room and dance in the room and I feel like Dan might go like four rounds. No, no, no. I and was I, thinking the same thing when I read that guy. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I know people who will like, they're like a dog with a bone and now they're going to get in that fight and they will never let it go, right? And yeah. my feeling is I've done exactly what you do. Like someone, you know, writes something and it's hurtful or whatever. I might write one thing back. Well, you know, I'm sorry you feel that way, but you know, let's agree to disagree, you know? Uh, yeah. Uh, in, my, in my family with my kids, we, we, we say de gustibus non disputandum est, you know, to... There's no accounting for taste. But, you know, uh, in matters of taste, you know, there's no, no sense arguing over it. You feel one way, yeah. I feel another. But we can be friends. We can respect each other. And, uh, yeah, but I don't see the point of those long, long things. I was, I, but I was amazed when I read that in your book, Guy, because it also you, you talk about don't take things personally in general on social media, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I, I really don't. But, I, you know, I also, it, it may seem contradictory, but I don't think you should take things personally. But I also don't think you should take any shit. Oh, so what's an so, example of that? Like, so, you know, when people confront me, I will not back down. I mean, I don't drag it out and I don't take it personally, but I don't let them run over me either. Um, I'm, I'm now you know, more than 60 years old by a couple of months. And I actually think that sometimes just taking these trolls and idiots on mm. – it's good. It, it keeps you young and it keeps you intellectually stimulated. So I do it kind of a, you know, kind of a mental exercise sometimes. For a sport. But, but, yeah. but what kind of trolling do you get? Do you seem like, you know, everybody I know seems to like, like you. You know, you're one of these sort of universally <laughs> liked – no, honestly, you're one of these universally liked guys. You know, you're always positive. You're, you, you, you make a point of that in the book of saying – you know, be positive, put, put positive energy into the world. What kind of trolling do you get? What kind of – what kind? Um, of- you know, the kind of trolling I get is because I'm really not afraid to take a stand. And so, you, you know, when I, when I read that the NRA believes that unless everybody can have an automatic weapon with a 30-clip ammo thing – um, because someday a herd of deer might attack them, and God knows if you don't have an automatic weapon to defend yourself from the deer, you might get killed. Or you know, what if Barack Obama goes rogue one day and he sends SEAL Team Six into your house? So, in that situation, you certainly want the NRA fully empowered, so you can get off your sofa and take that shotgun you bought from Walmart and defend your house against SEAL Team Six. So, you know, as I can tell you, when I, when I say stuff like that, some people just go freaking crazy. You know, all of a sudden, people who uh, have never really studied the law become constitutional law experts, and they're telling me about the Second Amendment and what the Founding Fathers meant and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So those are the kind of trolls. And then I'm big on women's rights. So when I read, you know, some dumbass legislator saying something about women's rights and I like I push those things I ram it back down their throats and that makes them crazy too um so it's it's not like I I uh <laughs> it's not like I'm a, not a big target I I'm just willing to take on the issues that I believe in have you ever flipped a troll or is it mostly for the people who are um listening in have I ever what a troll? Flipped a troll, turned turned him around, changed his mind or her mind. 
you know, I will tell you another important life lesson that I've learned is many times trolls are not really trolls. They just don't realize what they're saying and how they're behaving. Or, you know, maybe I'm taking it too personal. But I have to say, lots of times you find out that uh, either they didn't mean to attack you mm. or that they were just trying to, you know, provide feedback or, you know, whatever. So they're not necessarily trying to drag you out into a fight for their own glorification and joy. Makes sense. Um, if I were more mature, although, you know, once you're 60, if you still think you need maturity, there's, a, there's a, like a narrow window when you're 60 between needing more maturity and being senile. So <laughs> yeah. uh, if I were more mature, but prior to being senile, I would think that, you know, yes, many of these people are not doing this on purpose. Um, so it kind of depends on what time of day it is. Yeah. What mood I'm in. I mean, there's a lot of factors. <laughs> you've had coffee that morning or not. I hear yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I played hockey, did I score or not? You know, I mean, there's a lot of, lot of things. It's, it's, I'm a complex person. Yeah. Well, let's actually um, – I want to take a moment and talk a little bit about the book that you have coming out. You know, why this book and why now for the art, art of social? Now because – well – the, the, the real credit belongs to Peggy Fitzpatrick because she's been telling me for a long time we should write a book about social media. And I kept saying, well, there are already so many books about social media. Right. And one day, you know, I just started and I kind of have uh, – not only am I – not only am I, you know, getting old and kind of senile, I'm also OCD, which is a real deadly combination. Mm. And so I decided that – I would write just the best book ever about social media. And I really, I really cannot stand many people who hold themselves out as social media experts. And so I decided that I would try to write the best book ever possible about social media. And Peg Fitzpatrick, who I believe is the best person in the world in social media, I, I would put her up against entire digital agencies. She is so good. So I had this co-author to true, who truly understood social media, and I had the OCD personality. Right. And I love to write, and I have the platform. So, uh, and I love a challenge. And so I just started writing and just, just became an obsession. So the challenge in this one, as you said earlier, is is how do you stand out from all of the other social media books that are out there? What's the different approach that you take? Well, our, our approach, I believe, is much more tactical. Mm -hmm. You know, it's there's there's there should be nothing in this book that is a duhism, and a duhism to me is you know when you read from an expert, I'm using expert in quotes sarcastically. When you read something about, well, you need to be open and transparent. And it's like, duh, as opposed to what? You right. know, closed and opaque. Of course, you're supposed to be open and transparent. I need to buy a book to learn this. So we wrote a book that is much more tactical. Um, none of this 50,000-foot view. It's the 2,000-foot view. Sometimes it's down on the ground with the knife in your teeth view. Uh, I, I, am, I like to read a book, and, and I have to highlight parts, and I immediately go and change things. 
So I want people to read this book and let's say that section on how to make a great profile. I want them to read that section and, and it says your avatar should be almost all your face. Your face should be front lit and it should be asymmetric. I want people to read that and say, hmm, my avatar is me, my surfboard, my son, my daughter, and my Mustang. It is backlit and we're perfectly centered. I want them to say, huh, that avatar is wrong. I'm going to go take a new avatar. Got it. Uh, one of the things that you talked about in the book is, is using platforms like LinkedIn, which has just added the ability to blog on its own platform. And one question mm -hmm. that I hear a lot is, you know, why blog on LinkedIn and not your own site? Or how do you balance the blogs that you post on LinkedIn versus your own blog? Well, I no longer blog on my own blog, believe it or not, because uh, I, well, I, I like to use a retail example, retailer's example. Sure. So it seems to me that a blog, particularly if you're starting out for the first time, a blog is like starting a store in the middle of nowhere. And it's because you believe that your retailing ability, your, your selection of merchandise, your discounting, your marketing, your whatever is so good that people will come to the store in the middle of nowhere. That's a blog. It may be true. I mean, if you are, if you are Ariana Huffington or Martha Stewart or Ralph Lauren, you know, to mix some metaphors, you could. You could put a standalone Ralph Lauren or a standalone, you know, Home Depot someplace in the middle of nothing and people will come. I understand that. That's a successful blogger. But I think for most people, and I include myself in this list, it's much better to go into a pre-existing mall where there already is natural or organic foot traffic. So to me, that is Facebook or Google Plus or this new mega mall called LinkedIn. So why LinkedIn the mall versus Facebook the mall or Google Plus the mall? And I think it's because on LinkedIn, people have to be more careful, more thoughtful, and more intellectual because the primary purpose there on LinkedIn is to pimp themselves for business development or for getting a job. And so in a context where you're on LinkedIn for these purposes, you're probably not saying as much stupid stuff like, you know, women should be barefoot and pregnant or you know, if you're not saying stuff like, well, women should depend on karma to get a raise, you have to be more careful on LinkedIn. And so I think LinkedIn is the sleeper of social media platforms because it is so serious, because people really are who they are. And I hope deep down inside, even the dumbest troll who there are trolls on LinkedIn realizes that if you say something really stupid someday, some HR person is going to look up your LinkedIn account and see that you said something really stupid and not give you a job. Um, and believe it or not, uh, I have now more followers on LinkedIn than Twitter. So li LinkedIn has surpassed Twitter for me. And your, your Twitter number is 1.4 million. Is that right? Yeah. So yeah, what's, and what's my LinkedIn, LinkedIn number is higher. How many there? I think one and a half million, something like that. Wow. But, you know, the trend is my friend on LinkedIn because I've been on Twitter since, I don't know, how old Twitter is, you know, eight years. And LinkedIn has had this for only a couple of years. And on LinkedIn, I think um, 
you know, number one is Richard Branson, and number nine, number one is Richard Branson. Number two is I don't, I don't know. Number three is Ariana Huffington. Number nine is David Cameron, the Prime Minister, and number ten is Guy Kawasaki. So, you know, hallelujah. And uh, just as an aside, so you don't think it's just me and my wonderful writing. Peg Fitzpatrick is the one who did that. I mean, she basically said, "Guy, you need to be better on LinkedIn." So we're making a plan, and you know, nine months later, I'm number ten on LinkedIn. I give all credit to Peg Fitzpatrick. And is that that kind of growth? Was that something you said you made a plan? Is there? Is it? But basically, content strategy and some of what you lay out in the book, or are there other methods that you're bringing in to grow this well, audience? For the self-serving purposes of this book, I should tell you it's just amazing content strategy, right. <laughs> okay? Because that would support the book the most. I set you up for that. Yeah, but I'm an honest person, and so I will tell you that honestly, a lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm the I am a suggested user on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn suggests that I am a person you follow. Sure. And when a company does that, whether it's Twitter, LinkedIn, or Google+, the waves and the ocean and the seas part and the clouds part and the angels start singing. So um, it, it's very helpful if a company picks you as someone that they promote now, you could go back a, not another you know, step further and say, well, guy, you know, okay, fine. We understand if you're, if you're promoted by LinkedIn, you get 1.5 million followers, but why did LinkedIn promote you? And that is a deeper philosophical question. And the answer to that is twofold. One is that I produce good content, and two is because I'm visible. Um, you know, they're not promoting Britney Spears on LinkedIn. So... Uh, Which is a so shame the question is, okay, so good content is good content. I mean, easy to say, hard to do, but you know that's not rocket science, right? So the question is, well, how is you know how do you figure the visibility part? And the visibility part is basically one way of looking at LinkedIn is to say I have 1.5 million followers in two years. Another way is to look at it by saying I have one point excuse me, 1.5 million followers. I have 1.5 million followers on LinkedIn because of 32 years. So it took me 32 years to get here um, because I, I've, been, I've been doing stuff that made me visible for 30-some-odd years. And is that mainly about quantity? So where do you fall on the quality versus quantity question when it comes to social posts and, and putting content? Okay, this is another thing that you know, social media experts hate when I say I'm all about quantity. Um, I, I understand that, you know, you want quality and you want to be kumbaya and you want to be open and transparent and personal and involved and all that hallelujah great stuff, okay? I'm not one of those kind of people. Uh, I think that the, the more people who follow you, the more powerful a platform. Now, this is not to say that I am advocating that you buy likes, buy followers, or buy circlers, right? So there are agencies and there are large brands who do that. I think that is not only stupid, it's unethical. So I don't do that. But I do believe that the more people you have, the more interesting it gets and the more useful social media platforms are. 
So I'm all about the count. Um, I watch that constantly. I, I think there's only two kinds of people on social media, the people who want more followers and liars. Everybody wants more followers. But if you don't have a lot of followers, then you say, well, it's the quality. Sure. Um, Makes sense. <laughs> Although I wonder, Guy, though, because you, you advocate, for example, you have a very interesting chart in the book where you show you did an experiment with Peg and, and you, yes. took, you took a tweet and you did it once and got 1,300 clicks. And then you did the same tweet, what, every four hours, the, the identical tweet in, in four-hour uh, Eight gaps. hours, eight hours. Eight-hour gaps, okay. Think, yeah. And, and in the end, in total, after, after those four tweets, you rounded up with 7,600 clicks. And right. your argument is... Um, yes, if you uh, do a lot of repeating of your tweets, yeah, you're going to drive some people away and they'll unfollow you. But on, on the net, you're going to end up with 7,600 clicks instead of 1,300 that you got the first time out because I guess there are different people on Twitter at different times of, of day. So you get, you, know, you catch a bigger argument. But what I wondered is if you take if, – if everybody did this and we took this to its logical extreme, we already have a problem where on social the signal-to-noise ratio is – Tiny. The signal is small and the noise is big. It's so, so much so that it's almost overwhelming. You're talking about everybody taking this up in order of magnitude. What happens then on social where we just, everybody is blasting things out 10, 20, 40 times a day? Yeah, but I mean, but uh, that is a, a very hypothetical and um, I think unrealistic concern because, you know, not everybody's going to do that. So if, if everybody went to right. the library and didn't return their books, the library would be empty. Yeah, but, you know, not everybody's going to do that. If just, and, you and, if just you and I do it, we just get a bunch of free books. <laughs> yeah, right. Of course, you know, who goes to the library? But, um, okay. So I, I, I'm, I suppose that that's true. I mean, what if everybody evaded taxes? Then we'll have no income for the federal government. Well, but this is a voluntary tax country, right? Yeah. So I, I, I must admit, I don't lay awake uh, at night thinking about that. Mm. Frankly, um, social media is not that important to millions of people. And it, yeah, it takes a fair amount of effort to quadruple a tweet. Don't get me wrong. So, right. you know. The question is not whether it's it's possible to quadruple a tweet. Uh, the question is whether it's worth it. And so for me, it's worth it because I would rather get 7,600 clicks than 1,300 clicks. Yeah. There are people who don't care about clicks. And there are also people who believe that you know their tweets are so important that people are standing by waiting for them. And if they miss them, they're going to scroll back. So I don't believe that. I don't flatter myself that much. I, I am more of the NPR CNN model, which is you run your story two, three, four times. Yeah, if you mm -hmm. ever watch CNN, if you have nothing better to do one day, watch CNN and watch how often they repeat the exact same story. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's it's you know imagine if every TV channel ran the same story four or five times a day. Well, not every TV channel is going to do that because some TV channels have a different orientation. They're not news-oriented, right? Mm. But I'm assuming that ESPN and CNN and NPR is not stupid, so they must figure that you know not everybody is on at the same time. And even if you're on the same time, you have different uh, interests at different times of day. I mean, 
I don't know. So you know, there's always a few people who say you tweet too much, you repeat your tweets. And my logic is that I am willing to lose some followers in order to get four or five X the clicks. And to me, that's perfectly rational. It's mathematical. I mean, it just, yep. you know, explain where I'm wrong here. I mean, I also kind of believe that if you're not pissing off somebody using social media, you're probably not using social media optimally. That was my favorite line in your book, that if you're not <laughs> pissing off somebody, because I'm always pissing people off. Unfortunately, they're almost always my colleagues, and then I get in trouble. So it's not the right people. I, I, I haven't quite figured out how to do what you do, which is piss people off, but have it work outside to your favor. Outside the building, Dan. Outside the <laughs> building. Yeah, outside the building. Yeah. Piss off those people. <laughs> I always piss off like my wife. My wife's like, how dare you say that on Facebook? I'm like, honey, it was a joke, you know? But, um, you know, but yeah, I thought that was very, bo- no, to make a serious point, I see it here at HubSpot where you're, now I'm representing a brand and I'm, I, you know, I'm the social media person for this brand and, oh God, I don't want anyone to get angry. God, no, we don't want anyone to be angry at us. And, and I think it's not just us, it's all companies and anybody who's doing social with a corporate focus rather than just somebody. And there's this fear of, gosh, if we, if we upset somebody, that's going to blow back on us, right? There's, that's a real concern, right? And that is a real concern. Um, but I think, no, I'm not advocating you purposely screw up, okay? But <laughs> oh, I, I am saying oh. that if you look at some of the huge screw-ups, what has it really done? I mean, you know, do you still fly United? Um, no. I do. Yeah. Uh, do I think that United breaks guitars? I guess so. You know, me and 30 million other people love that song. I, I figured out that, you know, if they break my guitar... Well, the reason is I don't check baggage. So, you know, but if I got to go from A to B and only United goes, I'll go. If I got to go from A to B and Virgin America and United goes, I'll go Virgin America. But not because of that song. It's because more planes on Virgin have wireless. So, so I, you know, like this, this, this earlier reference I made to women should depend on karma to get raises. Okay. Mm. So, you know, a year from now, do you think that's going to really hurt Microsoft or the CEO of Microsoft? I don't think so. I mean, in a few weeks, it's not going to matter. He's got bigger problems, like he could fix Word, for example. If he gave me a choice and said, all right, so I'm going to have a misogynist CEO who's going to fix Word, or I'm going to have a politically correct CEO who leaves Word the way it is, what's your choice? Guess which one I would pick. Um, have you seen any companies in which that's gone the other way? Misogynist that's- and good? <laughs> Touche. Uh, in which a, uh, a bad story has really stuck and, and damaged a company. Uh, I, I, can you think of one? I mean, United Breaks Guitars. What about the guy, I don't know, the Pizza Hut or whatever, he was spitting into the pizza. I mean, <laughs> I, I, can you think of one that has really st- I mean, okay, so one example... The mega example of this is Audi unintended acceleration, right? Yep. 60 minutes, runs a special, little old lady doing nothing, car flies out of her garage, right? Mm. Completely um, unintended, Audi's fault. Proven wrong, but it took Audi arguably 10 years to recover from that 60 minutes. But, but it, it did recover. Yeah, there was a case recently where... Um 
what was it Rap Genius? The CEO of Rap Genius made some unfortunate comments on social. Ended up, it was sort of his third strike, though. But it ended up uh, being taken out of the company. But, um, yeah. but yeah. But what I mean on, is the other side of it, guy. Where you say you're you're advising people. This book is written not for newbies. It's not. This is not Twitter for dummies. This is for people who are pretty sophisticated already and want to use social with the most impact in a, in a for a company for a, in a corporate setting to make money as a business device. And you're saying if you're not pissing people off a little bit once in a while, then you're not working hard enough. So what's an example of how a brand would do that? How would we piss someone okay. off and it, but it would play to our favor? How would we? How okay. would that work? So. Um, well, you have to think of the context of a company, right? So let's say that Apple, the antisocial company, hypothetically posts a tweet or a, you know, shares a post or something supporting giving more visas to foreign nationals who want to come to America to be programmers. Okay. Yep. Let's just say it. so. That kind of makes sense for an Apple or a Google or a Yahoo or a Cisco to support a different kind of immigration reform, so that it's easier to get a visa to work in America. And that might okay? piss, and that might piss some people off having that that kind of uh, exactly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So there's going to be people who say no. You know, we should protect America. America's for jobs. These freaking lazy foreigners are going to come over here. They're going to go on welfare. They're going to take my tax dollars. They're going to take my job. I'm never going to buy a freaking iPhone again for the rest of my life because Apple supported bringing in all these, these you know, lazy criminals, right? Okay. On the other hand, I think the vast majority of people would say, you know, Apple, you are right. Because what made this country great is that we took people. And we, you know, like, look at all these great companies. So, you know, was it people who came on the Mayflower who started Google? No, they came from Russia. Uh, what about all these enterprise software companies? They came from India. Uh, what about all, you know, you just go down the list. I mean, I'm third generation Japanese American, you know, so why am not, why am I not considered a scumbag, you know, welfare sucking minority? Um, so this is a perfect example where I think you, you know, you, you can take the middle road and never, never discuss visas or you can, you can take a road that, you know, we support immigration reform. We are an employer of tech workers, and we need more qualified tech workers. We think it's good for America. It's good for those people. It's good for the world, you know, building connections to other countries. We support this. But there will be people who say, I'll never buy another Apple uh, product again because, you, you know, you want all these people, these terrorists, to move to America and be on welfare. Yeah. So a lot of times we've been talking about in this session companies that already have an audience. You um, yeah. have thousands and thousands of followers. I'd love to, as we kind of wind down, to get your thoughts on, you know, short of, of spiking controversy or short of an accidental meme, uh, how does a company that's got 500, 1,000, 1,500 followers on any social network kind of systemically go about increasing those numbers, uh, becoming more of a well-oiled machine on social media? In addition to becoming a customer of HubSpot, what they should do is they should figure out that they need to position themselves as an expert 
in the relevant topic. So um, we'll use an example. So let's say that you are a startup airline called Surf Air. Sure. Okay. So this is an airline that flies only within the United States. You pay something like $2,000 a month. You get unlimited use. You fly from San Carlos, not SFO, San Carlos to Truckee, San Carlos to Santa Barbara, San Carlos to Gardena, San Carlos to Burbank. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you, you are the startup airline. You don't have millions of followers like United or Virgin. So what do you do? So I think that you, what you do is you become an, an, a content curator. And you think about, you know, so people who are taking this kind of route, what would they be interested in? Um, they might be interested in, let's say, you know, 10 places you have to eat in Santa Barbara. Right. Or... Uh, this is a list of the fastest Wi-Fi spots in Silicon Valley. Right. So top or, of mind. Uh, this is this is a um, we did an analysis and we found out that if you fly to Gardena or Burbank, it's faster than flying to LAX. You know, I don't know whatever it is, right? So something that interests the people on these routes. Mm -hmm. And so if, if I were following, if I were, if there were a thousand surf air followers and you, you had this great thing about, okay, so this is the 10 places you, you have to eat in Santa Barbara. And there are 10, believe me. So now I'm one of these thousand people and I say, huh, you know, this is a very good list of places to eat in Santa Barbara. I'm going to reshare this post. Right. So, so now you reshare this post and people see and get exposed to at Surf Air that they never would have because now it's not just Surf Air's followers, it's the followers of Surf Air's followers. Right. So by doing this, more people are exposed to Surf Air. Some people may say, huh, I should follow this Surf Air. What is Surf Air? Oh, Surf Air means I spend two, two grand and you know, I get unlimited flights within California. I fly to LA four times a month, you know, and I, and I fly to Santa Barbara twice a month. It kind of makes sense. And flying out of San Carlos, you, you drive up one minute before the flight leaves, you walk out on the tarmac, and boom, you're gone. You're not at SFO an hour before going through TSA and, you know, looking for parking and all that. So, and I live in Menlo Park. San Carlos is 10 minutes from Menlo Park, and SFO can be an hour from, from Menlo Park. So you're basically a content expert. Your, your mental test is 90% of the time, am I sharing stuff? that passes the reshare test. Right. And the Guy Kawasaki reshare test is 90% of what you post should pass this test where people will reshare it with their followers. So you're not just making the people who follow you happy. You're making them so happy that they want to reshare what you've posted because they consider it valuable, informative, or entertaining. Um, and to me, to use another analogy, because I'm into analogies, <laughs> if you go to a restaurant and you tip 10% just because it's kind of standard practice, obligatory, whatever, that's one thing. That's like 
giving someone a thumbs up or a plus one or something. So, you know, it's, it's good, good enough to plus one, good enough to do that. But when you reshare something, this is like telling people, your friends, you should eat at this restaurant. Right. So one is giving a, a buck to the valet. Another is saying you should eat at this restaurant. Because when you tell someone to eat at a restaurant, you are risking your reputation. And when you reshare something, you are risking your reputation. So what I'm saying is all of social media comes down to are people going to reshare your post because what you created or what you curated is so good that they are willing to reshare your post and risk their reputation. And so if you can do that, you will get more followers. Right. So you're looking for that content that is continually getting reshared and you're trying to double down on that. It's all about outbound marketing. <laughs> outbound. Well, hey, um, oh, I got, is I that right? Did okay. I say outbound? Was it outbound or inbound? I keep forgetting the difference. Ah, I, me too. I, I have a, an, one thing I want to mention is you, you also in the book included a little shout out to a HubSpot product, our um, editorial calendar. or Yes. And you use that scheduling product. So thank you for that. And here's a question I have for you, though. You also devote some space in the book to Google+. And I realize you wrote the book, some parts <laughs> of it, probably uh, several months ago. If you were writing the book next year, uh, would you be including Google Plus in it? What, what, do, you, what do you think? Absolutely. Google? Yeah, I know you were a big believer in the early days, but I'm still a big believer. Yeah, I, I believe ultimately Google Plus will win. Hmm. So, um, and I'll tell you why. First of all, it is Google, right? It's not five guys in a garage with a million dollars in seed capital. It is Google, yeah. and Google. Can basically they can divert the river any way they want. So I believe that. Mm. Um, I would never bet against Google. And I realize Google is not infallible, but you know, it's not infallible, but that doesn't mean you bet against it. So, you know, in Las Vegas, the house is not infallible, but that doesn't mean you're gonna beat the house. So there's that. But I also, you know, I don't, you know, tell me if I'm wrong here. So the math I do is from every indication, roughly, Facebook is, let's say, two times or three times bigger than Google, Google Plus, right? Mm. I mean, is that generally accepted? I guess, yeah. Okay. Let's call it three times. Yeah. Be conservative. Okay. So a billion for Facebook, 300 million active people on Google. Yeah. Okay. So let's say it's that. So, so all these social media experts say, wow. You know, Google Plus is a ghost town. Google Plus is nobody there. Everybody's on Facebook. That's the place to be. So I'm trying to do this math. So one level of math is, huh, so you're telling me if somebody told you that there's this new social media platform that has 300 million people, you would say, too small. Don't bother me. Yeah. You'd say, holy cow, you know, who is it, right? Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, but this is the kind of logic like, oh, so uh, I found this great new social media platform. It has 300 million people. Most people would say, wow, you know, what is it? You say Google Plus and they say, oh, Google Plus, loser. <laughs> um, so there's a winner take all kind of mentality yeah. around but the that, way people okay, invest Okay, so now in here's a higher level math. And, you know, feel free to correct me. So it seems to me that because of edge rank or whatever black magic uh, Facebook uses, people roughly believe that if a hundred people follow you, 
or circle you or like you. Mm. If 100 people do that, roughly 10 to 20 will see your posts unless they do a manual act and specifically change a setting to see everything, which I don't know anybody who does because I don't even know how to do that, right? So to me, the math is, so if there's 1 billion on Facebook and 333 million on Google+, but only 20% of the people on Facebook can see your posts unless they change this setting. So 20% of a billion is 200 million. 100% of 333 million is 333 million. So it seems to me that effectively, for most people, Google Plus is in fact larger than Facebook. Because even though the top line number is bigger, because Facebook has decided that it's going to decide who sees your posts, many fewer people see your posts. Right. So, so it seems to me that just mathematically, it makes more sense to be on Google Plus than Facebook. Now, having said that, I don't think you can ignore Facebook. But you know, where is my math wrong when you figure in edge rank? Right. So it sounds like the strategy is is uh, an array of different networks, but knowing each of those networks for their own strengths and knowing how to dominate that that network. Well, I mean, you know, you're putting words in my mouth. I'm not saying that because, frankly, my posts are identical on Google Plus and Facebook. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And, and you know, part of the – okay, so here's mm. another, another mathematical line of reasoning. So let's say I'm wrong. Let's say Facebook really is effectively three times larger. But then I would still make the case that, you know, with things like Buffer – or Hootsuite, or Sprout Social, you compose a post once, you deploy it to Google+, Facebook, and Twitter, and LinkedIn at one time. So what is the delta, what is the marginal cost of posting to Google+, Sure, yeah, that when you're using Buffer, Hootsuite, or Sprout Social, to post. Whether you post four places or one, it's the same amount of work. So why not post on Google Plus? It makes no sense to me. Got it. All right. Well, thank you, Guy. That was fantastic. We appreciate you taking the time. We don't want to take too much more of your time, um, but some really good insights in there. Um, and we are you're welcome to come inside the, uh, the walls of HubSpot anytime you're in town. Um, we're, we'd love to have you. Um, I, I have to go see my conference room. I've never seen that. Co- it's just, oh, that's true. Yeah, the Kawasaki room. You have to come visit. <laughs> it's a good one. No, it's, Second it's floor. one of our favorite rooms. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, really, seriously, um, I forget. Is the term inbound or outbound? I've never intuitively understood the difference. It's inbound marketing, right? It is inbound. Yes. So you got to edit that part out <laughs> so I don't look like a total fool. No, you just look like a smart aleck. It's good. Yeah, you're kind of a wise guy. No, but we would love to host you, guy. You know, um, and if you give us a heads up, we can really give you a nice, uh, a nice reception when you get well, here. If you give, like, if you know you're coming, and you give me a, a little okay. warning, uh, yeah, we'll have a we'll have a whole party for you. Did Did you hear my incredible inbound 2014 faux pas? Well, I saw your speech, but I didn't hear any faux pas. What was the faux pas? Okay, well, it's not a faux pas, faux pas like you know the CEO of Microsoft. So what I said in my speech was, um, if anybody out there wants a free copy of this book, all you have to do is sign up for Canva 
and send a Canva design that you created to this email address and mm. we'll send you a free copy of the book, okay? Yeah. But I gave them the email address of uh, inbound at gmail.com. Oh. And I should have <laughs> given them inbound at canva.com. Uh-oh. So now come to find out, you guys don't own inbound at gmail.com. And so whoever has that account probably has hundreds and maybe thousands of emails. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> A lot of nice new friends. One. So, and then I know that come December when this book shifts, there's going to be hundreds, if not thousands of people wondering, well, what happened, guy? You promised us this and it never came. So I think what HubSpot is going to do, because HubSpot is such a great company, is they're going to send an email to every attendee saying, guy made a mistake. If you did this, you need to send it to you know, inbound at canva.com, not inbound at gmail.com. But then you know, the, uh, the, I'm always seeing the bright side of things. It seems to me that an email to 10,000 attendees saying, guy made a mistake, this is what you should do. <laughs> is freaking amazing, great post-event marketing, right? I almost it's suspect you did it on purpose. Never would have done this, forgot about it, didn't hear it, whatever. Now they're going to do it, right? Right. We'll make that the subject line. Guy Kawasaki made a mistake. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Newsflash. Free book. Free book to be had here. Yeah. I think people are going to be lining up to get this one, Guy. I, I read it, and it's just it's a fantastic book. It's well, really, they, really can good. Can I quote you on it? You can. I, I really liked it, and I, I learned a lot. Uh, I thought it was uh, really, really well done. Well, thank you very much. Now, what about, are we going to discuss Alex or whatever? <laughs> we'll, we'll save that one for next time. Okay. All right. Thank you. Take care, everybody. Okay. Bye, Guy. Bye.